Amen. He makes the darkness tremble. How many of you know that to be true? Amen. He's a great and mighty God. We talked about this morning the fact that he is great, uh, God of gods and Lord of lords. If you're our guest tonight, I want to encourage you, if you look on the back of your chair there, in one of those pockets by, in front of you, there's a QR code there for our guest. And the reason for that is you can scan it with your phone. Nobody has to come make you feel awkward, make you stand up or put a card in your hand. Uh, you can scan that with your phone, and you'll be able to share some information with us that we might minister to you and pray for you. Um, so please, if you're our guest, take a moment and do that. How many of you are glad to be here tonight? I mean, I saw some smile. Like, we don't even have to do a smile wave tonight. We got smiles already, you know. We had to dig deep in the bag this morning because we had to, man, we, we, I don't know what was going on with us. It was like we missed having our toes in the sand. And so <clears throat> I want to say, if you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way to the book of Acts, if you will. Luke's second letter to a man named Theophilus. And remember, his first letter was the gospel according to Luke, and that book, the book was written with the intent of showing Theophilus that everything that was said about the Lord Jesus Christ, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, was absolutely true. It was an ordered account of Jesus' life, and Luke, the, the, the <clears throat> physician, gave a very ordered account of Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. But now we have the second letter, and the second letter's purpose was a little different. And the second letter's purpose was to Theophilus, but the purpose was to say that everything I said to you about Jesus in the gospel according to Luke, this is what that gospel looks like in action, A-C-T-S, Acts, short for action. It is the actions of those who have been born again, who've come to know Jesus, this Jesus from Luke's gospel. Uh, does that make sense to you tonight? Would you nod your head? Everybody tracking with me? Okay, at the end of our time together, we're going to have what's called an ordination service. How many of you know what that is? Raise your hand. Anybody want to come and teach on that tonight? No? All right. No, hands went down all over the place. All right. Okay, so I'll do that, all right, if it's all right. Uh, Acts chapter number 6, and we're going to look at, we're going to learn some things tonight about how uh, the church has uh, changed since its inception. I don't mean the message, but I mean sometimes the method, and more so, more ordered structure, and I'll show you that as we go through tonight's message, okay? Now, this, how many of you learned something this morning? Uh, that maybe you didn't know in the right, that same proper way. Uh, I'm telling you something. Um, when you have heard Malachi ch uh, chapter 3 preached before, you've usually heard it preached to the fact that you need to give, right? Right? Like it was about tithing and it was about you're supposed to give. But we learned this morning that wasn't really the premise, was it? The premise was that was a symptom. And the problem was found back in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I don't mean to re-preach that thing, but I just don't know if I'm done with it yet. But in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, what God said the problem was, do you remember what it was? They didn't honor him. They just didn't honor him. And honor means to assign weight or value, right? And we, we made the determination that giving is an expression of assigning value, remember? We said that one person may, may, may pay extremely high price for something that they assume is valuable to them, whereas another person, you couldn't give it to them. And so we say giving or spending is an expression of assigning value. And here's what we learned. By our spending in the kingdom... We value God or we don't. We honor God or we don't. Wow, that's tremendous. That's life-changing, isn't it? Now, y'all aren't looking happy. That's good news, man. I love information that can transform my life because, listen, I'm not there yet. And I need the Word of God to shape me and mold me, and so do you, all right? So now fast forward to tonight's message. We're going to look at a message designed and impactful to the church. So look within Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1, and we're going to look down through verse number 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through Seven. The title of the message is The Answer for Growth Pains. The Answer for Growth Pains. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever, ever heard this phrase? Well, that's just growing pains. I remember some of my children. I don't remember exactly which one because we had a whole bunch of them. <clears throat> but some of them would say, man, they got a pain in my hip or a pain in my knee. And we would talk to the doctor about it. And the doctor said, well, we've looked. Everything's fine. It must just be, oh, you heard the same, huh? Growing pains. Over the years... Uh, people that have come into the life of this gathering in the last, say, two years, uh, they think that all of a sudden something happened and the church just exploded, but it's not that. It's been a consistent thing over a long period of time. And if you've been here for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. And so every step of that journey, we have experienced growing pains. We've parked in ditches. How many of you remember that the little field beside South Campus where the black walnut tree is? We cut it short. We striped the grass. Y'all remember that? 
And we'd have guys out there ushering, waving people in, and they'd park in there. We'd park about 70 cars in the grass. And God, how did that work? Somebody asked me the other day, how did that work? Y'all don't have no gravel in there. I said, the only answer I got is God. And so we, we, we saw over time things were difficult. Then we moved from the uh, original worship center, which, by the way, the first year of ministry in, uh, that God called us here in 18, almost 18 years ago, we had 28 average on Sunday morning. And that was our Sunday morning worship, the highlight of the week. We had 28 we averaged that year. And so the sanctuary would only seat uh, 100, and some of that was standing room. And it wasn't long where people were standing, and we had growing pains. We said, we got to get some more chairs. We had these old pews that are... A Methodist church that had, uh, had gone under, if you will, after a long, long time. The chairs, were, the pews were in terrible shape, but that's what we had. We had growing pains. And then you put too many people on it, they'd pop and they would fall. Not a good thing for trying to keep people's attention on a Sunday morning. So fast forward, as that began to grow, people would begin to sit. Even I remember there were times in the original worship center, the little white church on the corner, people would be sitting up on the platform with me, Indian style. And I'd just be preaching right here. And so, see, we really have a lot of room to grow if you think about it, you know. Can you imagine being a guest coming in? And they say, listen, we don't have any more seats. We've got a spot for you right up here. You can sit Indian style right here by the pastor. And we did that. And, and so growing pains. <clears throat> but more so than space discipling began to be one of the greatest challenges that God has shown us over the years. Now, we were seeing people saved. You know why? Because when you invite people and they're exposed to the gospel, the gospel is the, like a cage line. When you let it out, it has the power to save. You with me? And you just do your part and get them here, and God will do his part by sharing the gospel. It's amazing what he'll do, man. And so you just be out there inviting and sharing your testimony. You'll be amazed at what he's doing. And when I told people is when you go from 28 to 228 to 528 to 1,028, uh, those people, if all of them are inviting, if all of you are inviting and sharing your testimony, then all of a sudden, people are coming and they're getting saved, but we were shallow on making disciples, ministering to and helping to shape the lives of that many people. And so uh, we had some challenges, let me just say, uh, over the years. Uh, people would say, well, that's growing pains. This is what they would always tell me. I'd be scratching my head and praying and fasting, asking God, what do we do next? And they'd say, well, that's just growing pains. But then they'd follow it with this statement, but that's a good problem to have. And I agree, but at the same time, it's still a challenge and it still presents challenges. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to see a church that beginning in the very infancy of the church. Now, we're not talking about a local church. We're talking about the church, right? And it started very, very small with 12 and then began to multiply because they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And because of that, well, they began to experience some growing. Listen, y'all are ready to preach the thing. Uh, growing pains. All right, so now with that thought in mind, would you stand to your feet with me and let's begin reading now in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Aren't you glad God's word is so prevalent and, and, and authentic and right now applicable to life? I am. Beginning in verse number 1, Acts chapter 6. And by the way, what a great looking crowd tonight. Um, you may be asking, the youth are up here with us tonight. And we look better when the youth are up here with us, right? They got a little energy and they smile. And, and, uh, and the reason is, uh, Brian's heart and my heart and the heart of the leadership here is we want our young people to understand the structure of the church, that we didn't, just didn't get together and say, well, what should we do or how should we do it? Uh, but we looked to the instruction manual of a loving father who said, here, I'm going to give you exactly how I want you to do it, okay? And so that's why we're all gathered here tonight. And I thank God for our youth and for Brian and Taylor and for all of the wonderful adults that pour into them. It's a tremendous ministry, and uh, I'm so thankful for you guys. Okay, let's begin verse number one. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was, <clears throat> now, I'm not a big proponent for math. Some of y'all know that about me. Now, I'm all right with math until you start putting letters with numbers, and then I'm like, that's just ridiculous, right? Because letters make words, and I do okay with words. And Anyway, um, but notice that, that Luke did not say, uh, now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was adding, Right? But he uses a specific word because how do you attain larger numbers faster, addition or multiplication? Okay, well, you guys are sharp. Verse 1, now in those days when the number of the disciples was, y'all are getting it, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples, and this is what they said to him: It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sent before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied how? Oh, greatly. We've seen a word added to the multiplication. Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the pre- even the priests, the old covenant priests, yes, were obedient to the faith. Let's pause now for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you tonight for the blessed privilege of teaching and preaching your word. I thank you that I can have nothing else in my life that could have the impact of standing on your behalf by the power of your spirit housed with holding your word in your pulpit and preach this word. And I thank you, Lord, that it's going to transform how we think and how we live. And, Lord, I pray you'd be glorified in it. And as you help me to preach, uh, God, you know that I am so less than ordinary. Uh, Father, I'm just, uh, well, I'm inadequate for this task unless you help me. And I pray again that you'd help me. And I'm confident you will because you've done it every single time I've asked. And so by the gift you've given me, by the power of your spirit and the clarity of your word, preach now through me but also preach to me because I need it as much as anybody. Father, I pray from the youngest among us to the oldest, everyone in between would be engaged and learning and shaped and transformed by the renewing of our minds by the power and authority of your word. Now, please do it. Do it for your name's sake. Do it for your glory. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Acts 6, rewinding to verse number 1. Title of the message, the answer for growth pains. All right, growth pains. Y'all going to hold on while time I shoot? That'd be all right? Because you know I'm A.D., whatever, another, and uh, I, y'all know what happened. I'll be looking at that the whole entire time. So, <clears throat> main idea of the passage is this. Serving his church requires help. Would you, would you put that somewhere? Uh, serving his church requires what? Help. And did you know that people uh, who are called to the family by the Holy Spirit, who are born uh, of the Spirit, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, did you know that when they become part of the church, they become part of the church for the purpose of helping? Did you know that? Me and Brother Brian know that. And, and I'm, I'm going I'm to present you all with that one again. Uh, how many of you know, now that I, this ought to let you know that your answer ought to be yes here in just a second, okay? I'm just kind of setting you up, warming you up, and getting you ready. Here it comes. <laughs> all right, did you know that when you and I are saved and born again, we are, uh, when we confess Jesus as Lord, we are added to the church. You say, Hickory Ridge, no, no, no. This is one little small local, local body. We're talking about the church, born again Christians, all right? Uh, you're added to the church, but you're added to the church for the purpose of help, being help, helping. My question for you tonight is, are you helping the church accomplish the plan and the mission of God? That's a great question, isn't it? One that only you can answer. Are you helping the church accomplish the mission with which Jesus has us on? Okay, so a couple of things I want to talk about tonight from the passage. Main idea, serving his church requires help. Remember the title? The answer for growth pains or growing pains, all right? So number one, and this is going to shock some of y'all. I'm telling you, I'm glad you're sitting down. All right, number one, and it's in verse one, and this is what we call expository preaching, verse at a time as it falls in line, building a main idea and learning the Scripture one-on-one. Here it is, number one in your notes, verse one is growth has challenges. Doesn't it have challenges? Growth has challenges, Uh, both physically. How many of you know that? Uh, When I grow physically, uh, because I'm through growing tall, so if I grow now, I'm growing the wrong way. And I have done that. Y'all know me. You've been knowing me long enough to know sometimes I grow the wrong way, and that presents challenges. You can't tie your shoe good. You get out of breath preaching, huh? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so growth has its challenges, and it doesn't matter whether your family's growing because, you know, you go from, you go from being sports mom, you know. I'm not talking about sports like soccer. I'm talking about like you got a nice car in high school, like a Camaro or something, you know, or what have you, and it's small, it's sleek, you can get in and out of parking spaces, and then all of a sudden you have a little, you get married and you have a little baby, and it's so hard, it doesn't matter what size little car you have, it's hard to get a baby seat in the back of that thing, isn't it? 
And so then you fool around and have a second one. And somebody lied to you and said that uh, well, after you have one, it's no big deal. Just add another one. And you have a second one. You say, somebody told me a lie. <laughs> I can't get the, the car seat, the booster seat and the car seat and all that stuff together. And so you fool around and go from sports, you know, young mama, young lady to the minivan mom. <laughs> Y'all remember what I'm talking about? And you say, well, growth has challenges. And the truth of the matter is it's true in every facet of life, okay? But here we find in chapter 6 and verse 1, Luke says to Theophilus that the church was growing. It was multiplying. Now, I need you to understand that when he says multiplying, it wasn't like, okay, one more today and one more a week from now and one more two weeks from now. It was multiplying, right? And so you, can, you know how multiplication works. It gets to a small number to a big number really fast, and that's what was happening. And so because of that, when the church is growing, uh, you're adding new characters to the, to the uh, equation. Let me look at you. Characters. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Did you know that you are a character? I'm telling you tonight that you are, in fact, a character. And I, too, am a character. And we are different. None of us the same. None of us. Like snowflakes, right? I'm not calling you a snowflake. Relax. But we are unique. And we are, right, God made us that way, and it's by design. And I tell you this, you're weird, man. You're some of the weirdest people I've ever met. And weird is a good thing. Weird means not the norm, not the common. And you're not supposed to be the common. You're supposed to be weird. God made you that way, and he did that to reflect his glory in the world. And so what happens, though, when you put a bunch of weird folk together and a bunch of characters together, y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. They can't get along. And you sit them together, and they have uh, one ministry to feed the widows. <clears throat> and they're feeding the widows, except that one particular group feels like they're not getting the same good a treatment as the rest. And so, I'm glad you're sitting down. Something very unique and special happens. They complain. <laughs> How many of you know that complaining happens in the church? Oh, I love that. Some of y'all are like, let me tell you what was said out in the common area this morning. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me. All right, don't tell me. But the chances are high and probable that some of you complain today to somebody about something that was not eternal in this place, about this place. Think on that for a minute. You see what I mean? The more characters you add, right, it changes the equation. So the church is, in chapter 6, verse 1, is growing. And because it's growing, read with me. Uh, it says, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose, hidden this startling, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. We aren't getting what y'all are getting, and we're not going to stand for it. And so they began to be complaining. It's an interesting thing about complaining, isn't it? Uh, it's contagious. You ever notice that? You start complaining about something, somebody around you starts complaining about something, and all of a sudden you find you'll be as happy as you can be. Everything, you're just having a great day, a great morning, and somebody around you begins to complain. What happens next? I love that. Everybody smile, look down at the car. <laughs> we just join in. We can't help it, right? And the next thing you know, you're feeling bad, and it's negative, and things are going on. Listen, it was a complaint. And so because of that, we would say that the complaint in the church, there was a, we say it this way in ministry, we call it the little fires were getting started. And little, matter of fact, James talks about the tongue being an instrument that is very small but can cause great damage. He says that the tongue, this is what James says, James chapter 4. He says the tongue is set on fire by, uh, not the Boy Scouts, but that the tongue of mankind is set on fire by hell. And so, you know, you realize today how sometimes the things that we say with our mouth, gossip and slander and complaining, uh, how that sets fires. And what happens is you have a little conversation, you're bent about something. You know what I'm talking about when I say you're bent? Bent out of shape? Yeah, can, not if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to have to explain. Okay, good, you got that. Bent out of shape. So you've been out of shape by something. You begin to complain instead of glorifying God and thanking God you're saved and talking about how many people got saved. Uh, if, it always blows my mind that people can find a reason at this place where God's been moving in this place for this long and complain about some of the silliest things. I always just sort of in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, this has 100 years from now, 10 years from now, next week. What you're so bent out of shape about won't really matter. But when you add more people, they were multiplying greatly. 
And as they were multiplying greatly, you had Hellenists, right? But you also had Hebrews, and so you get people from different backgrounds. Oh, I wish you'd hear me tonight. You get people from different backgrounds, people from different perspectives, people from different education levels, people from different economic backgrounds, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with different uh, uh, just family of origin. Some people had mom and dad, some had mom, some had dad, some had neither. And so you have all of these people brought into this family, and we all got here by the same vehicle. You ready? Here it is. We came by the vehicle of grace. None of us deserve to be part of the family of God, but Jesus purchased our way. But here we are, and we get in the family of God, and then we get all arrogant, and we think that our perspective is the only perspective. And we cause all kinds of problems. And so there was a problem. People were complaining, setting fires. I wonder if you've ever set a fire by complaining. I wonder what it will be like on that day to know that we've stood before, we stand before God, know that we've set fires and damaged his bride by some temporary things. I think about that myself sometimes. Oh, I just wanted to think about it. So here we go. Roman number one, growth has, do, do you believe that verse one proves that there are challenges with growth? Yeah, they're now complaining and there's a problem. Why? Because there's so many people coming and somebody feels left out and so they're having a complaint. Number two in your notes, all right? We just, got, we just have about seven or eight of these, all right? So hang tight. <laughs> number two, verse number two, here it is. So growth has challenges. Number two, service is to be shared. Service is to be shared. Now, look at verse number two with me, if you will. So, there was a problem that arose because of the multiplying factor, okay? More people, more characters, more backgrounds. There became a dispute. Verse number two, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve, here's the word, and serve tables. Now, did you know that the word in the scripture for, uh, for deacon comes from the word diakonos, which means, here's what it literally means in the Greek. It means through the dust. Now, somebody asked me one time, preacher, what? I can't make the connection. Why, Why would a deacon be called through the dust? Well, it's a picture of a servant in this particular time in history that was going around the house serving so much in a dirt floor that they were kicking up. Yeah, what a picture. Not complaining not fussing, not causing problems, but serving so well that the dust wasn't even bothering them. They're just running here and serving and running there and serving, and they're just serving because they're glad to be saved, and they're glad for Jesus' name, and they want him to get the glory, and they're running and serving. And so we began to see the beginning of a ministry that's forming within the church. So remember, uh, he says, uh, they say, it's not desirable for us to uh, leave, read with me, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So <clears throat> there's two distinct service roles. One service comes from the platform of the word of God, and one comes from the platform of uh, settling disputes and causing peace to happen within the body of Christ. Do you see it? So then, number two, service is to be what? Shared. That means that the pastor of any church cannot do it all, right? Now, number three, and I don't just say that and feel weird because I'm the pastor here. I'm just preaching it right from the book. And so we're learning that service is to be shared. Number three, number three. Now, in verse number three, we're going to look at specific qualities of what is going to be known later as the deacon ministry. Now, you notice in this passage, Acts chapter 6, you don't see the word deacon, right? You do know that. But we find this role of serving in this capacity as we look on through Paul's letters to Timothy as the church takes shape. It's not yet formed. Now, the foundation and pillar is Jesus. Uh, the beginning of the New Testament church, the author and finisher is the one who bled and died and made possible salvation for whosoever will call upon his name. Jew and Gentile, uh, Hellenists and Hebrews coming into the same family, and Jesus did that. But when you get in the family and you got all these perspectives, you need some help to keep the fires out and to make peace, and to keep peace and unity among the body. And so, as we walk through this thing, let's see what the qualities are of these who will later become known as deacons. Look in verse number three. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Now, he's going to give us some specific qualifications of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What business? The business of putting out fires and ministering to people and making sure their needs are being met. So, uh, let's look at some of these qualities just in a list of four. Can I give you a list of four from here? And then I'm going to give you a more formal list, and you can write those down and go look at them later on when you have some more time. Number one from his list, he says, they are to be from among you. So, you're not going to go out and find somebody to serve the bride from another local gathering 
or from the world, but you're going to pray and choose uh, those men from within the body. Do you see that? And so that's why uh, we have elections each year, and we have those as we pray through uh, those men who are active and participating, part of a small group, already serving, and you pray through and you vote for those as the Holy Ghost gives you utterance. Is everybody walking with me? Can you nod your head if you understand where I'm at? All right, everybody, don't be bored on me now. You need to know this stuff. It's very, very important, okay? So, number one, from among the congregation. Number two, what do you say? They have a good reputation. So you would not vote for uh, brother so-and-so, Billy Bob, uh, because he's your best friend or because it's a popularity contest. Uh, You want to make sure that you are praying and that the person who you are putting in that position to serve and to put out fires, to be a peacemaker, would be somebody who has a good reputation. In other words, when you get outside the church and you talk to people he does business with, when you talk to his children and his grandchildren, when you talk to his wife, when you talk to people who know him, that do business with him, that buy from him or serve, uh, have services done by him, you don't want them to say to you, uh, man, do you really know that guy? I mean, let me tell you about what happened and who he is and what he's done. And so you want the guy to have a, be a guy, first of all, from among the congregation, but a man with good reputation. Number three, he is to be full of the Holy Spirit. See how you're reading through this thing and learning? You're learning right on your own to pick out right out from the Scripture what does the Word of God say. Not what is so-and-so's opinion or how does this church do it or that church do it. What does the Word of God say? So the Word of God says that he is to be full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when a person is full of the Holy Spirit, you can tell? They will spend time in the Word of God. They'll pray. They'll be gentle. Uh, they, now, listen, they'll never be a perfect man this side of heaven. You understand that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. None. Zero. I mean Zero. But he'll be a man who you can tell is evidence that's the Holy Spirit leading him uh, instead of his emotions. Does that make sense to you? So he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't want to just vote for somebody because you know his name. You'd never, whenever that time comes up next year, you would never just say, well, I know know his name, so I'm going to check the box for him. No, heavens no. It's much too important a role. And there are specific things the Word of God says that you should be looking for in the lives of these men. If they're going to be the servant leaders who are responsible for making sure ministry is happening and people's needs are being met and that fires are being put out, or I put it this way, peacemakers. So let's move on through this list. So the next thing he says about them, and it's in the same sentence. So this is the fourth one that he mentions here. From among the congregation, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and fourth and finally full of wisdom. He ought to be a man who is guided by wisdom, which comes from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Uh, here's, you might look at this. Well, how do I know a man's life is wisdom? Is it because he has gray hair? Heavens, no. Is because his life will be defined as biblical. What he's going to do is make decisions in his marriage, in his, in his home life, in his business, in raising his kids, grandkids. He's going to make decisions based on what the Bible says. That's wise. The beginning of wisdom, the Word of God says, is the fear of God. To know that he is God and to know that how I live matters to him, okay? So he's a man full of wisdom. Uh, Now, those are the specific qualities mentioned here. Y'all, everybody tracking with me? We can move on to the next thing. Yes. All right, let me give you 1 Timothy chapter 3. Put this in your notes. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and on down through verse 13. And here we have a more detailed on down. Now, you've got to remember there's some time passed between these first set of believers in Acts and to the 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, those believers, years later, the church is taking form. Someone said to me one time, we ought to go back to the book of Acts and do like they did the book of Acts and sell all our stuff and go house to house. And I said, well, if that's the case, what do we do with what happened to the church all the way up through First and Second Timothy? Because it wasn't that anymore. Most people, they don't get, they don't see that. It wasn't that anymore. They were gathering. There began to be some structure. I hear people say, I don't believe in organized religion. We ought to read your Bible. God organized it because he's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. And he loves, how many of you learned that about God? He loves order. And so he has a way that he desires to do it, okay? So uh, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, you can go and spend some time reading there. There are more specific and detailed qualifications, okay? Now, moving on, number one, we said growth has challenges. Number two, we said service is to be, are you carrying your part of the load? I just felt compelled to the Holy Ghost to ask you. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. And you can't say that you're 
just a teenager because you still have part of the load to carry. We're to share the load together. may not be to serve as deacon or pastor, but there are other places for you to serve and be part of the ministry. Here we go, moving on from specific qualities of deacons in number three to number four, pastor's main area of service. You see how today's message is just sort of straightforward, so simple a child can understand it. Now, let me read, if I could, from Acts chapter 6 and verse number 4. One of the greatest misunderstandings, I believe, in the church, particularly in the south and in rural areas, is what does the Bible say is the role of the pastor? In other words, is he to be the one who's leading the charge in evangelism? He's the one going door-to-door knocking. Is he the one that's supposed to go to all the hospital visits? Is he the one that's supposed to be at every baby birthing? Is he supposed to be the one... And somewhere over time, we adopted the idea of yes. Yes. And because of that, you'll find out that one in four men who surrendered to full-time ministry to pastor end up finishing the race. One in four. That means when four surrender, three of those will stop and quit before the finish line. I believe with all my heart, it's because of the unreal expectations of the church that's uninformed by the Word of God. So what does the word say? Acts chapter 6, verse number 4. Y'all still tracking with me? All right, chapter 6. You learning something? All right, we're beginning to see a shape come to to pass. I love how God's word is so wonderful and true. Verse number 4. But we will give ourselves. So they're going to be, for the deacon ministry is going to be to serve and put out fires. And when some people feel slighted, well, he said complain. Uh, They're going to meet those needs and minister to them and keep peace and make sure that, well, if there's anything to it, they're not getting their portion. They make sure that that ministry happens to the Hellenists and and they're just sort of keeping peace and making sure the fires don't grow so that there is unity within the body. What's beautiful. But we, we will give ourselves continually, that means over and over and over, two, two things, prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, prayer, I think that goes without explanation, doesn't it? It means talking to God. Now, let me say something about the man of God called to pastor the flock of God. His number one resource and lifeline, if you will, is his connection to God through prayer. Um, He cannot operate in the gifting that God's giving him unless he spends considerable portions of his time on his face before God in prayer. When he goes to bed, when he wakes up in the middle of the day, as he's going through his day, uh, he, he ought to be saturating his life and mind in communion with God in prayer, talking and listening and petitioning. And, oh, one of the things I do is I'm riding around, man, I pass you guys' houses. I'm going to meet somebody, uh, a guy for lunch, and, I'm, and I pass your house. And you know what the first thing I do? I pray for you going and coming. And when I pass your driveway or I remember something or something comes to my mind and God's constantly bringing you to my mind, why? Because he's given me to be the under-shepherd for you because he loves you. And so he'll bring you to my mind or some situation that you're going through or, or some great victory that you've had. And I'll just stop and praise him and say, God, thank you for, or Lord, you know the struggle that so-and-so is going through. God, would you give him a touch right now? And so his direct connection and, and important ministry is the ministry of You know, I've never heard anybody ask me, not ever had anybody ask me, Pastor, how's your prayer life? Now, I have had people say, you didn't come see me at the hospital. I have had people say, you know, I had something and this happened and this happened and you didn't didn't call me. And sometimes I want to say in my flesh, well, this happened and this happened in my life and you didn't call me either. But that's not the point. That's not, that didn't honor God to have that. Listen, what what I mean to say to you is simply this. Um, no one has ever asked me, hey, man, are you getting enough time in prayer? Is there anything I can do to help your schedule so that you can make sure you're staying before God on our behalf, on behalf of this gathering and the mission of this church? Uh, I'm I'm just afraid somewhere we misunderstood (laughs) what it is that God said is critically important. The second part of the ministry, so it's prayer and then ministry of the Word. Uh, Do you know what my gifting and calling is to minister to the bride? My number one gifting and calling to minister to this bride is to preach and teach this book. How many of you know that? Uh, that's what he gifted me to do. That's what he called me to do. It is what I dreaded the most when he called me to ministry. Can you believe that? You can ask Tina. Well, people would ask me to come preach, and I'd say, oh, Lord, i got to preach next week. You know, at first, you know, whatever, Baptist of uh, out in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, there'd be nine people. And she said, I'd find out Monday, and I would be hard to deal with for about six days because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get in front of people. I was ashamed and shy, embarrassed, and And yet now I know with all of my heart that just because he is who he says he is, he's proven over and over he created me for this, uh, it is the great passion of my life. 
But oftentimes, you'll find that the local church thinks that you're supposed to be at every surgery. Now, listen to me. If every pastor was at every surgery, how in heaven's name will he ever have any time to spend in the Word of God uh, preparing a meal to feed the flock of God? Now, I'm not saying to you that I won't come to your surgery. I try to do that when I can. And there's a team of us. We do that, and we have deacons that help with that. We have other ministry leaders who help do that. But you do understand that that is an unrealistic. Listen to me now. I want you to look up at me. That's an unrealistic expectation to think that one person could be at every surgery under the sun. And I'm not just saying that about Hickory Ridge. If you're here visiting from somewhere else, I want to say that wherever it is that you gather, it is an unrealistic expectation for you to put on your pastor. And if you're listening to this podcast months from now and God puts you on it, let me help you to see if you're in a position of leadership in your local gathering, you should help change the culture for people should never believe that one man should meet every ministry need within the church. The Bible says his ministry is prayer and the ministry through the word. So please, let's be biblical in our, and by the way, you guys, and and I hope you understand, this is not me uh, picking on you guys or pointing, you are phenomenal at it. You're some of the most understanding people that I have ever been around. I could tell you some horror stories from some of my pastor friends that they share with me about things that they go through. And I'm telling you, I feel like, man, what's wrong with my people? They don't treat me like that. And uh, and I want to say that to say to you, thank you. Because I don't bear that burden of uh, you beating me down because I can't be everywhere all the time, because of that, I'm freed up to spend time in the Word of God so I can prepare the meal and then give it to you and feed you. And I'm thankful for you. I can't tell you how thankful I am. So please keep it up, amen, and uh, encourage those around you to do the same. And so as we walk through this thing, what is the pastor's main service? Two things, uh, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word. Uh, oftentimes, the ministry of prayer is one that's misunderstood. They say, we need to make a move. We need to do this. And I said, no, what we need to do is pray. And I've had a lot of people get frustrated with me over the years because they say, no, we got to do something. Now, I don't say we got to do something until God says move. And so we pray and we minister through the word. And that's what God's called. Now, let me, moving on, if I can, number five, and there's only one more. Told you eight. See, so get, we're getting through quickly. Pastor's main service, Acts 6 and verse 4. Next, deacons are affirmed by laying on of hands and prayer. Now, I need to explain this because we're going to do it in a minute. I don't want you just to be looking like, what in the world are they doing? We're following a biblical model. Okay? You all with me? I know that's kind of wordy, but I want you to write it and I'll explain it. Deacons are what? Affirmed. They're not, they're, not, they're not called by prayer laying on of hands. They are affirmed. So then my question is, who is it that calls them into the service? God does. And the church affirms it. Does that make sense to you tonight? Okay, now, let me just read, if I can, uh, put your eyes on verse number five and verse number six. Do you have time to write that? Deacons are affirmed by laying on of hands and in a minute, we're going to do that. Some of y'all are going to be like, man, I'm ready to go, and it's, you know, we got school tomorrow, and you're going to be rushing, and listen, don't, whatever you do, don't miss and dishonor God that way. It's a weighty matter, and these men are called to help put fires out. You say, well, what's so important about keeping people? People are going to complain anyway. I'll tell you why. John chapter 17 is why. In the Lord's Prayer, in John 17, you say, you mean our Lord, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom? No, 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 that's a model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17, whole chapter. In that prayer, here's what he prays. I pray, here's one part of it. I pray that the people, my people, your people, the people, the, my, the disciples, the followers of me, Jesus said, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Are y'all tracking with me? He says, now listen, here's the magnitude of unity within the body. He says, so that, he's talking about believers. He said, I'm praying that they would be one. What does that mean, being one? Unified. Not fussing about who's getting this and who's getting that and what the building looks like, and this and that and the other and all the nonsense. What is it? How important is it that we get along and we're unified? Here it is. He said, I pray. This is Jesus' prayer now. I pray that they would be one. They would be unified like we are unified so that the world would know that you sent me. Now, ponder that for a minute. So if then we are out talking negative about the church and slandering and disagreeing and, and being at odds with each other, we're giving the non-believer legal grounds to say God didn't send Jesus the Son. Now, how big a deal is that? It's critical. So the ministry of the deacon to the church is, is ordained and set apart by God, and it's very important. So we're going to have a time laid on hands in prayer, and you ought to be in part of that. You ought to be praying for them in your seat or whether you come up, or you ought, and you ought not just rush out, but you ought to be thinking about how God's going to use them to put fires out and keep people unified and minister to folk. 
Oh, I get excited thinking about it. You know why? Because I know that together we can do a whole lot more than I can do by myself. Now, let me just read if I can. Put your eyes back with me, if, if you will. Verse 5 and 6. So, the saying pleased the whole multitude, which is interesting, isn't it? Everybody agreed. Huh. And they chose Stephen. <clears throat> and they knew the list of men who they chose. Uh, verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And so, in just a few minutes, we will pray and lay hands on those men. And we're following something that some 2,000 years ago was being done. Isn't it beautiful to be a part of something so big and so rich and so across the, the scope of time? So deacons are affirmed by laying on of hands and how? Prayer. All right, finally, number six. Can you believe we're already there? Hallelujah. Here we go, verse number seven, if you will. Write these words down in your notes. Together we are better. Would you write that down? Together we are better. Now, remember, we're a bunch of characters. And depending on which day you fool with me, I'll be a character this way, and then the next day you may see me, and I'll be a character that way, right? And the same is true about you, so don't look at me like that. I've seen some of y'all when you're hungry and tired. You're a character, aren't you? How many of you know the person sitting beside you can be a character? I knew I'd get some amens in, so I look at y'all looking at nodding heads and raising hands. Yeah, characters, a whole house full of them. And the guy preaching is a character. And because of that, <clears throat> when the Spirit of God can unify us through the ministry of the deacon and the pastor and the word and prayer, I'm telling you, the world sees a picture of what Jesus can do with Hellenist Hebrews, right? Lighter folk, darker folk, educated, uneducated, wealthy, un I mean, everywhere across the board. When God could put us all together. You, you know, by the way, I was telling somebody a testimony this last week. I said, on, in this place, we've got, <laughs> we've got law enforcement officers that are on the same road with the guys they arrested recently <laughs> within the last 10 years, and they're both praising God and serving God together and happy to be there. How about that? What does that prove? God sent the Son. Only Jesus can do that. And so it's proof positive. It's so important, this ministry. So together we are better. Verse 7. We go on to say they, let, they set them apart and prayed for them and laid hands on them. In verse number 7, what is the byproduct of what we just read? What's the byproduct? Yes, what's the byproduct? Now, I want you to think through. What's the byproduct of what? Okay, uh, calling some guys out to share the burden. Calling some men out to share the burden and praying for them and them helping put the fires out. What, what is the benefit? In other words, uh, does that mean that we're going to uh, get a check from Uncle Sam if we have deacons serve well? No, heavens no. Listen to what it means. All right, verse 7. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples isn't just multiplying now, but it's multiplying. Whoa. And it's doing so in Jerusalem. And a great many of even the priests were obedient to the faith. <clears throat> Two things I want you to see there, the word spread. There is nothing more important in our culture and in this culture than for the word of God to spread one heart at a time, one home at a time, as the Word of God begins to inform people's vision, listen to me, culture begins to change. Not culture informing our decisions, but the Word of God informing our decisions. You know, there's this verse in the Scripture that says, without vision, without the lack of vision, my people perish. And many people in our society will take that verse and say, well, what that means is you ought to have a vision for what we're doing next year and the year after that and having a vision out there ahead. And that is not what it means. Literally what it means is without a vision form, or excuse me, without a vision informed by the ways of God or the word of God, we're going to perish. So a vision for manhood ought to be informed how? By the word of God. And a vision for marriage ought to be informed by what? The word of God. And a vision for business ought to be informed by, come on, somebody help me. Word of God. Y'all track with me. We're going to stay on the same vein for a minute, all right? And so the, the schoolhouse ought to be informed by the Word of God. And so everything, every vision for every role we have ought to be informed by the Word of God. By this morning's case, the finances of my home ought to be informed by the Word of God. And that's how we keep from perishing. My, listen, my hope for salvation ought to be informed by the Word of God. I could think being good will do it, and I'll die and go to hell for my trouble. But the Word of God says that Jesus did it. And if I'll trust that, if I'll put my faith in him, what he did on the cross and his resurrection, I'll confess him as Lord, I'll, my, my informed decision, I won't perish. I'll be born again. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? So the Word spread. But the second benefit, the second bit of together, together we are better. Number one, the Word spread. But number two, many disciples were made, greatly multiplied. 
when all of us are sharing the burden of the mission because the mission is burdensome. It takes sacrifice, money, time, talent. When we share that, together we accomplish so much more. And within the church and within this specific context, deacon and pastor, serving alongside, serving the bride of Christ, when we do that together well, what happens? The Word of God spreads and many disciples are made. You know, what a, what a testimony at the end of the race for us to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You, you know, I was, I was talking, we had a, a meeting beforehand just talking through some things, encouraging the guys. Um, and, and as we walked through that, one of the things I said to them is something that sometimes I lay in the bed at night and I think about, uh, the baton. Now, when I say the baton, I'm, I want you to think in terms of a relay race. Are you thinking about a relay race? Can you see the runners? Uh, feet stretched out, let legs straining toward the goal, and in their hand is a baton. That means they're the person on their team that's running that particular lap. When they get to the end of their lap, what happens? They pass the baton. I never did that because I could never get the passing of the baton. I drop it and fumble it. And... But sometimes I lie awake at night and I'm talking to God, and I think about the fact that <clears throat> our brothers and sisters from back there have now put the baton in your hand and your hand and your hand and yours and yours and yours. And I, now when I say that, I'm assuming those that I pointed to are born again followers of Jesus. And I, I thought about, here's what I think about a lot. I think about my brothers and sisters. For some reason, this sticks in my mind, the brothers and sisters that died in the Roman Colosseum. I think a lot about them. I think a lot about those mothers that were holding their newborn babies and they came out into the floor of the Colosseum, you know, and the concrete wall around it that they couldn't climb out of. And over on one side was, the, was Nero, and all they had to do was go over and say the words, Nero is Lord. And they and their baby could walk out the gate free. But if they would not bow down and reject Christ and say that Nero is Lord, then they would release the lions and those mamas, and those daddies, and those months-old, weeks-old babies would be torn to shreds by the mighty lions. And I think about how many people were willing to stay the course and follow Jesus into the mouth of the lion that ultimately took their lives. And now their lap is over, because of their faith, many people came to know Jesus because people get really confused when somebody's not willing to throw their, uh, all of their convictions down and reject Jesus to save their own hide. And many people came to the kingdom because of that great convictions. And I think sometimes I lie there and wake, I ponder these things. I don't just think about, you know, uh, what's going on today or tomorrow. I think about the big picture. I think about the fact that now that baton that they carried in their blood-stained hands has now been passed to you and passed to me. And I don't want to fumble it. And I don't listen to me. I don't want to limp to the finish line. He's been good, too good to me. He's done. Listen, I, if I could tell you all of my story, one of these days soon, it's about time for me to share my testimony again, and I'm going to do that not before too long. I want you to understand something. I don't want to be guilty of at the end of the day, well, you know what? I got so concerned about the, the new additions, and I got to fussing about what I thought it ought to be, and I got so complained about we didn't have the purple shag carpet the pastor promised us, and some of y'all will get that in a minute. And I'm just so, and I don't want to, how, can, how dare you and I fumble the baton over such temporary things? And I said, we, not you. But now we have the baton. Well, how are we going to do with it? And tonight we've been given God's design for how we can run the race and run it to win. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? Now, what I want to do is invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Very quickly, I want to ask a question. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask this question. How many of you, like me, feel very challenged when you hear the illustration of the baton now being passed into your hand? It's in your hand. It's in your hand. Do you know that's why Paul said, run the race to win? Do you know that's why the writer of Hebrews says, look around you, there's a cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on? Why? It's your lap. It's your part of the race. It's mine and yours, and we're shoulder to shoulder in this thing, and God's called us to this particular place for this particular time. And the question is, what are we going to do? Are we just going to take, sit a spot and warm a chair? 
complain about temporary things, or are we going to grab that baton and run it for the glory of God and share Jesus and share the burden of the load? And, and listen, live as the church unified. God, help me and you. God, help me and you to do that well. Amen? How many of you are praying that for me right now? I'm going to ask you to pray that for me. I'm praying that for you right now in this moment. God, help. And I'm putting your name in the blank. Help them do it well. Help us run this thing to win. We don't want to drop the baton. We don't want to limp to the finish line. We want to find our place of service. We want to be committed to the cause of Christ. We want to be givers, not because of the act of giving, but because that that is the generosity of God produced when I'm close to him. And tonight, we're going to talk about, we're going to think about, in conclusion, the ministry of the deacon. It's a very special thing. So tonight, I want to just say to the group simply this. If there's somebody here who's never given your life to King Jesus, interesting that God will sometimes preach a message about church and structure and how he intends for it to be done, and he'll call somebody out of darkness into light. They'll be saved. It's the craziest thing. It's amazing to me how God does that. So maybe you're here today, and God's dealing with your heart. And I'm not going to have a time for you to come down tonight, but listen, that doesn't mean you can't be saved. Are you with me? You can, you can invite Jesus to be Lord of your life right in your chair, riding down the road tonight. Man, some of you coming home from spring break and, and you're sharing. Maybe somebody's visiting in the car. There's a teenager in the back seat. And right now the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. And you could be today gloriously, wonderfully saved. Saved from the power of sin, saved from the penalty of sin. How? You might believe on the Lord Jesus, God's only Son who bled and died and rose again. And if you'll confess him as Lord, he'll save you, forgive your sin, give you a purpose. You could do it right now. So I'm going to ask with the heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here tonight or if you're somewhere else in the comments there, would you just write the words, tonight I gave my life to Jesus. That way I'll be able to reach out to you personally. If you're in this room, we're not going to have an invitation time for you to come down, but just, just for the sake of knowing, if you're here tonight and you've heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, if you've invited Jesus to be Lord, would you just slip your hand up and right back down? I see you there. Any others? Just slip your hand up and right back down. So, Father, I pray for those that tonight invited Jesus to be Lord. I pray that you give them strength and courage. Help them to see it's the beginning of a journey. It's not the finish line. It's the beginning. Raise them up to be mighty men and women of God. Help us to be the church that helps them do that. Help them be part of the church that helps us become that. Now, I encourage you, when we conclude in a little while, come find me or Gerald or one of us, Ryan or Brian, one of us, and come say, hey, tonight I made Jesus Lord, and we'd love to encourage you. Tonight, if you've drifted from the heart of God, come home. Come home. Tonight, if you've not been running the race to win, come to the conclusion he's worth it. Now, I want to ask this question just quickly before we have these men to come forward. If you're here tonight, you just need a little special prayer. Just I, You don't have to explain anything. I'm going to pray for you from up here. Would you raise your hand up tonight? Just raise your hand up towards heaven. There's something on your heart, something in your family's life, something going on, you know, just something. Okay, hands all over the place. Father, I, I thank you tonight. You already know what it is. And I pray you administer to every heart. Every heart that raised their hand, every heart that says they just need something, God. And, and I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would do it. And you would do it for your glory. And you'd do it in such a way that they would know it was you who did it. And you'd do it in such a way that you'd use it, whatever it is, to bring people to the kingdom. I thank you tonight for Kelly's testimony. I know it's speaking to somebody's heart. I pray somebody quit playing church, Lord, and be saved. So tonight, be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name.